What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, folks. Uh, Jeremy here of Termion Podcast, of the E1 Podcast Network. And uh, I'm currently sans bridey, um, but I wanted to start this week's episode off with a little a little preamble, um, just kind of explaining a few things. First off, right off the bat, I want to I give a huge, huge shout out, a huge thank you to Hillary Windsor and, and to uh, Vice, Vice Canada for publishing um, this really, really kick-ass article in Vice this week about uh, Turn Me On Podcast, about what Brody and I are up to. Um, and I'm sure that there's a lot of new listeners who are, are turning tuning in this week for the very first time. Uh, so first of all, welcome. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we really appreciate it. The other thing I wanted to throw out there is that um, uh, I got a little bit of bad news. I got a little bit of unfortunate news. So some of you may or may not know this, but uh, Bridie has been away for the month of July. She's been living on on the beautiful island of of Prince Edward, and she's been the production manager on this on this really cool uh, feature film that they're shooting on the island. This this comedy that's that's going to come out. It's called Wharf Rats. It, it sounds fucking hysterical. I can't wait to watch it. Um, but but since she's been away. Um, we, we haven't been able to come together to record an episode for this week. So what we decided to do was this week we are going to drop, to redrop um, our favorite, one of our favorite episodes from last season. It is the episode where we sat down with Dr. Marianne Fisher, 
Um, she is uh, a a PhD whose whose who specialty uh, surrounds the the topic of intrasexual competition, specifically between women. It was a really fascinating conversation, and uh, I figured, hey, if we we're gonna have a whole bunch of people tuning in for the first time, why not throw out some of some of our best shit for you to first tune into? And if you already listened to that episode, um, I highly suggest going back and listening to it again. I, I I tuned in today just to be sure that this was the one that we wanted to choose, and I took even more away from it than than the first time we had the conversation. So. I hope you all enjoy it so much, um, and and as always, really, really appreciate each and every one of you who tune in every single week. Um, Bridie is on her way back to Halifax as we speak. She'll be home uh, basically as this episode airs, um, so we will be back next week with a, um, a normal episode continuing things as we usually do, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go on forward with this, this Come Again segment. Uh, with a little repeat episode. Hope you enjoy it, and we'll talk soon. Let's do it. Um, sweet. This week's episode is going to be really fun. Um, we're, we talked to a professional, a sex professional. Yeah, an evolutionary psychologist. It's always fun. Always fun to have those those little treats of episodes where you talk to someone who like really, really knows what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> extremely intimidating. Um, for this this foreplay, I'm uh, I'm just going to apologize if I sound. Real nasally and heady and throaty. Those all make sense, right? Yeah. I'm sick. I'm sick. I see. I feel like I'm getting sick like all the time when we record these foreplays. And this if like, I sound cranky, it's because I am. Are you on your period? No, but thanks for asking. <laughs> That's a lot of people are not going to like that. No, I. But I am. No, my, I'm kidding. Though. I'm in my premenstrual phase, so right. I'm premenstrual right you now. You know, I'm joking. Right, my Friday? period calendar says I have seven days to go, so that's pro- it. Probably has something to do with that. Oh man, I don't care if anybody else didn't find that funny. I know that you did a little because you laughed. And <laughs> people can't see that. Oh, they they can hear it. Oh um, man, want to hear something funny though? This is fucking weird. It has nothing to do with your period. I promise. Um. The other day, uh, so we, we had the we had the the screening of the Sick Boy documentary the mm-hmm. other day, and it was here in Halifax, and it went really really well. People loved it. Before the screening, I go into the bathroom because I have to pee. You know, I want to get all that pee out. I don't want to have to get up and go pee in the middle of the movie. So and I go you, to pee. You peed blood clots? No, I didn't. I didn't. Did you pee out a baby? No, um, but I go to pee in the urinal, and as I'm doing it. It's a very bad, busy bathroom. <coughs> oh, God, sorry. And this gentleman comes up beside me, and he starts relieving himself next to me. And, you know, I'm looking at the board in front of me, and he's looking at the board in front of him. 
And I never have the like urge to be like, hey, what's the guy next to me packing? I've never been that guy to like take a peek. Um, but we both kind of finish peeing at the same time. And I noticed something that I've never seen someone do before. And it made me think about like all of the things that I do differently from everybody else when it comes to like my junk and mm-hmm. my and my butthole. Yeah. But this guy, the way he finished relieving himself. He stuck his finger up his butthole? No. <laughs> yeah. So like <laughs> just to press down on the on the bladder and squish the rest of it out. <laughs> well, okay, so so I don't know about uh you you and your kind, Bridie, mm-hmm. with a vagina, but when when generally when a when a man when I've been finished peeing my whole life and, and most men that I know, there's like a little sort of um uh, what would you call it? Like a I've heard about a this. ceremony that you you perform to like make sure all the pee is out. So most guys will like pull their foreskin back and forth two or three times just to get all the drips off. Um, I I have this thing where I kind of do that, or like I'll shake a little, or but to make sure all the pee tap is it out. on the side of the urinal. Dunk dunk dunk. All clear. <laughs> So what I, what I do is I I take my I take my thumb and I I run it along the underside of my gooch mm-hmm. and it like kind of just pushes the pee out. Well, this guy, I don't know what he did to do that, but like instead of doing the shake or the pull back and forth, he took his fingers and he literally flicked his head like three aggressive times, like like that. And That's... I was I almost went ah. <laughs> out of like phantom pain beside this gentleman. I How did you see that if you weren't looking at it? Well, my peripheral vision, uh, see, I have... It's extensive? I have very perfect vision. <laughs> and my peripheral vision is is uh, just, you know, beyond most humans. Mm-hmm. So I, I was able to catch exactly what this guy did. But like, is that... Have you ever heard of someone doing that? Um, Literally striking the head of his dick. Like, that would hurt. Would that not hurt? I don't know. Maybe he doesn't have any feeling down there. Man, that would hurt me. I, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of what my um, my technique is. Because for sure, I feel like if I tilt my pelvis a certain way, <laughs> there's like still some pee that hasn't come out of the funnel yet. Oh, so you do I a just, pelvic tilt? I, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, a little bit. Or just kind of like start to start to like put my weight into my feet a little more see i do like that thing with my thumb running up the gooch Mm -hmm. it's similar to me sort of doing a kegel and that that forces the last bits of pee out god i wonder how many people are listening to this going what 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 does this have to do with anything well i learned something there because um i've heard of the i've heard of um the problem of not getting it all out and then having like pee on your leg Later? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the worst. Yeah, you don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. That just sounds awful. Maybe I'll start flicking the flicking the head. Maybe see you what should happens. try it. Yeah. Flick it on the urinal. <clears throat> Marianne Fisher's going to listen to this and be like, why are they talking to that, about that? <laughs> she probably bullshit. knows because she's an evolutionary psychologist. <laughs> yeah, she knows why the guy who flicks his head <laughs> is going to go further in life than me, <laughs> who runs his thumb along the gooch. Um, but she did talk about some really cool things about... Uh, how we compete against each other for mates. Mm. Um, maybe that's some kind of mating. Uh, yeah, yeah, some like some call primal, of the wild, primal ri- mating ritual thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Either that, flicking the head, 
running the finger on the gooch or slamming the head on the um, the ceramic. Yeah. Or what about just... <sighs> just blow. Like, just, just, like, just blow down. Practicing. It would be good for you, anyone with a lung problem. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. That's just fucking stupid. Let's move it along. Uh, um, we have, a, we have a, a bit of a, a brain boner. Uh, a brain boner. It's a little more serious this, this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, boy, is it a, a doozy, a tough one. Yeah. Uh, do you want to hit that one, Brad? Yeah, I sure will. Um, this is from Ginny in Ohio. Uh, I think that's what OH stands for. Yes. <laughs> you you got me. Okay, great. OH, Ohio. Yeah, sure. All I right. think so. Oh, she's from O. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, Bridie and Jeremy. I have my own little brain boner for you. Unfortunately, it's more serious than sexy, but I really enjoyed the way in which you have approached some of the more serious topics on your show, and I think this would be a great topic to talk about on the podcast. Recently in the United States where I live, an issue has come to light people, usually men, removing their condoms halfway through sex, most often without their partner's permission. Uh This is called stealthing. And a woman wrote a paper regarding the topic in the Columbia Journal of Gender and Law. She describes this phenomenon as rape adjacent, arguing that the act is a form of gender-based violence which finds its origins (laughs) in misogyny and toxic masculinity. It is an act performed without consent with a very real consequences of pregnancy and STIs. Such an act also makes its victims feel violated and powerless. She also highlights that there's a whole online community of men who consciously do this, thinking that they have the right to spread their seed. I've included a link to this paper below. I read it. It's pretty upsetting. I bring this up because I myself have had this experience. I just started, I had just started seeing a man who to whom I was super attracted and who I liked a lot. This happened around the second time we had sex. Both of us were very in the moment and he put a condom on as I was not on any form of birth control. I'd told him as much and thought I'd made it clear we needed to use condoms. We started having sex and it was fantastic, but his penis went soft a couple of minutes in. I told him that it didn't matter and that we could continue foreplay until he was ready. He said to hold on, he just needed to pee, so he ran to the bathroom. When he came back, we picked up where we left off. It wasn't too long before he came. He suddenly had this panicked look on his face, and I asked why. I assumed he put a condom back on before resuming sex, but he told me that he hadn't and had finished inside me. I can't emphasize how violated I felt that he had betrayed my trust, knowing I was not on birth control. There was a whole slew of emotions I was feeling, all horrible. His response was to apologize profusely, run to the store for plan B, and make me breakfast, which was fine, but it shouldn't have happened in the first place. Almost worse than the actual act was the way he behaved the rest of the day, as if he was the one hurt by what had happened, and he needed my constant comfort and validation that I wasn't mad. I was livid, but I felt like I had to pretend it wasn't a big deal, that it was all okay. I don't know why he removed the condom. When I asked, he just answered that he didn't know. My assumption is that he was embarrassed in some way that he kept losing his erection, something that is totally normal and that I did not care about in any way. I know that what I experienced was wrong, but I never categorized it as sexual assault until my best friend showed me this paper on stealthing. After I read that, I struggled with my feelings about the experience all over again. It's really hard to wrap my head around the fact that I was sexually assaulted by a man that I liked, trusted, and respected at the time, especially since I fell in love with him and he became my boyfriend a couple of months later. 
I think this is one of the biggest discussions to have about sexual assault, that it isn't usually committed by a stranger in a dark alley, but by people that we know, trust, and maybe even love. I think people need to be better educated about what is right and what isn't so they are able to recognize sexual assault and rape rather than just thinking of it as bad sex. Anyway, I bring this up in the hopes that you may touch on this topic on your podcast, which is fabulous. I could also use some advice on how to broach talking about this experience, which happened nine months ago, with my partner, the same one who stealthed. I feel that it's really important to bring this up, identify it for what it is, and talk about the way it made me feel. (coughs) It's just been a long time since it happened, and I know he's going to react by being guilty and hurt. I don't want that. I just want a recognition that the experience we had together was wrong. I'd appreciate any advice you have for me. Thank you so much for your time and for the fantastic podcast. Jenny. Man. Well, I I just want to say straight like first off right off the bat um th- like f- that is fully sexual assault um rape adjacent sexual assault however you want to put it like that is assault sexual assault is is doing something without consent mm-hmm. without another person's consent and that is exactly that um i did a little bit of reading before we kind of dived into this and um canada and Switzerland have both um, brought people to court and and have uh, what would you call that when they have a brain fart here when they like sentence someone there we go mm-hmm. that's it have sentenced people for uh, doing this this act of stealthing um, yet it is it is not something that has been brought to court and sentenced in the U.S. so far um, but yeah that's that's sexual assault. And if you're, if you're one of those guys, if you're, if I fucking hope no one listens to this podcast, or if you are someone who listens to this podcast and you're one of those people who are online saying that you have the right to spread your seed and that this is like a cool thing to do, uh, you're a fucking piece of shit. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Period. Not okay, not cool. Yeah, the I think the paper that I read um, was really about like how we're going to treat this. There, it, It's just only really been recently given a term, stealthing, and the lines between consent, um, they're really discussed at length in this paper, which maybe we can share on our Facebook page. But mm. um, yeah, I think... It is um, unfortunately it's it's not it's not a tricky one when when we talk about it. But in terms of like I think writing legislation and stuff like that that takes a long time. It's like how exactly do you, do you describe something in such a way? I think what they're saying in the paper is like uh, 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 you can draw the line because uh, penises with with drawn the condoms removed and then reentry. So it's two separate acts. Mm. Um, yeah, and consent to sex with a condom is different than sex uh, consent, knowing, like, you're aware of the risks uh, if you consent to sex without a condom. So those are two different, the risks are very different. Um, and when I did a quick reading on this and reading about what the uh, supporters of stealthing are, and some of them are women, um, is, is that... Uh, Wait, what? Who's a who? What women are supporting stealthing? Yeah, there's a there's what like argument is what, what's that argument? That fuck, a man please. has a right to spread his seed. Oh, but, shut the fuck up. Um, that is there's a barebacking, um, uh, barebacking brotherhood. Oh, I think is the hashtag God. for it, and um, uh, and websites. I guess that I haven't been able to find, but forums that I would guess. Uh, give tips to men on how to do it stealthily. And it's obviously also an issue in um, the same sex community. So the same argument is still made on those forums, according to this paper, even though pregnancy is impossible. Um, Yeah, it's a, it's pretty, it seems pretty messed up and it, and generally the reasons for doing it are um, it feels better um, there is the thrill of doing something that's degrading and that it just, uh, some men have a hard time keeping an erection with a condom on. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And none of those things are, are just cause to, to assault someone. Yeah. Especially when your solution is to apologize and rush out and buy plan B. I don't know. If anybody here hasn't taken Plan B, it fucks you up. It's not like, oh, the morning after bill, you just pop it in and it's all good. It it really messes with your biology for a while. Well, in this case, okay, so speaking to, coming to Ginny's mm-hmm. uh, situation, um, let's let's say, let's assume, let's just assume here that her partner 
is not one of those people who's like trolling Reddit and commenting on forums saying that this is super cool and super okay to yeah. like stealth. Yeah. Maybe let's assume that he doesn't even know that stealthing is a term. Right. Because I'll tell you right now, I didn't even know that that was a thing mm-hmm. until we read this email. Yeah. So let's assume that he's that kind of person. And he was very embarrassed that he couldn't get a heart, his, his dick heart. And so he decides, well, I know that in the past I've, I've been able to be hard and stay hard when I remove a condom. Look, I'll tell you right now, I've had that situation in my life where I've been wearing a condom and I go, this condom where I'm at right now is making it next to impossible for me to get erect. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's assume he's in that situation. And he decides without her consent to take off his condom and have sex with her. That was wrong. Mm-hmm. Period. That was wrong. Now, Ginny's still with this guy nine months later. I'm hoping, I would hope that Ginny is a, um, is someone who is with someone who's really great and treats her awesome, treats her right. Let's assume that that's the case. They're together, they're together for nine months. Mm-hmm. Let's hope that their relationship is really solid and really wonderful. Ginny is wondering how to bring this up to her partner. Yeah. Uh, I think that, I think you just got to bring it up. But here's the thing that I want to say to Ginny, and I don't know how you feel about this, Bridie, but the, the, the worry that you don't want him to feel guilty and feel bad about what he did, I think you got to let that go. Yeah. I think you just have to bring this up. And sure, bring it up in the, in the lightest, most like, open communication based way with like lots of understanding and, and, and love behind it. But if he feels guilty and shitty about it, let him fucking be a baby and, and feel as guilty as he needs to feel. Don't let that be the thing that makes you not want to bring it up. Like, I think you just gotta, I think this is the fucking hard truth that he, a pill that he has to swallow. Mm Mm-hmm. And you got to bring it up and be like, look, can we have some, can we agree that what happened was super fucked up and here's why mm-hmm. because it's it's akin to rape mm-hmm. yeah i agree with that i that was my first impulse uh based on what i read uh that you're about your concern about um him feeling guilty and hurt <laughs> considering the few rounds of emotions you went through on dealing with that immediately after and suppressing those feelings and then them coming up again when you found this paper. Um, I think it's okay for him to feel bad about that. And being in love with someone and loving someone doesn't mean that you can't be, you have to, you know, tiptoe around their emotions and make sure that they never feel anything bad. Um, And it'll be really important for both of you to be able to have a difficult conversation and then hopefully be able to put it behind you emotionally because otherwise those things, they come back, they surface again. If you, if you hold on to them, if you don't talk them through, if you don't work through them, they surface again in, in some other way, something will trigger it and you'll feel, um, you know, you'll feel violated by something and it, 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 it'll come back with a force that is not healthy or, Mm. uh, or appropriate for whatever the next context is. And if, you're, if your fear is that he's going to make it about himself in that sort of guilty, like wallowing in his own filth kind of thing, um, then call him out on that and be like, this, isn't, this fucking isn't about you. Mm-hmm. It's about you and that you were involved. But this, is, this isn't, like, I'm the one who was violated here. Yeah. So this is why I'm bringing this up. 
you know, don't don't let him make it about himself. Yeah, one of the things in the in the in the paper was like one of the um the testimonials from uh someone who had experienced this and she was just saying like the feeling that she had was um uh, I I was not important enough to be considered. Like this person just didn't care about the fact that I could get an SDR or I could get knocked up. It wasn't their problem. And that's the kind of, you know, that's the kind of uh, thing you want to nip in the bud early on in a relationship. If you feel like that could be even just a recurrent behavior in a much more subtle way. And Mm. so kind of addressing that thing off the top, I think is um, good. Clear the air. Mm-hmm. For sure. Maybe share some of this literature with him. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh... Maybe don't, maybe don't share this podcast with him. <laughs> yeah. I was feeling a little, I was feeling a little, uh, a little heated. I was, there. I got, I was really angry. I think that's when I said I was cranky. Mm-hmm. It was because I, I knew we were going to mm-hmm. talk about this. But, uh, you know, I, I don't want, I, I, people fuck up. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And he might have just he he might not have done that with the he he might have done that that to Jenny without like really without considering the ramifications yeah. and really without like, you know, f- you know, when you get like fucked drunk and you just you're yeah. in a state like I'm you know, if he wasn't doing it with malicious intent. Uh-huh. Not to excuse it, but just, no. you know, I, I would hate to like... Yeah, we don't want to pin him as a bad guy. No, and I, I would hate for you this... to like break, you know, for you yeah. guys to lose a relationship that mm-hmm. means a lot to the two of you over something like this. So um, be, you know, be compassionate, be loving, but also be firm and be... And 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 misogyny and toxic masculinity are big terms floating around in my world lately. Like just hearing people talk about that more and more. And... um this is like an opportunity for if if there is any of that going on, then for someone for this guy, your boyfriend to like rise above that and be mm. like it has it gives them the opportunity to be like, you're right. I was wrong. Yeah. And that is healthy. Mm-hmm. Well, OK, do you want to? <laughs> oh, man, that was fucking heavy. Let's get into our conversation with uh, Dr. Fisher, because it's it's one of those like. Uh, it's, it's fascinating and it's, it's very light, but also kind of dark as well. I know. And you're going to start to see these things that she talks mm-hmm. about everywhere. Yeah. And I feel like I would, I'm dying to know what her thoughts are on stealthing. Yeah. And what, you know, what that means for, you know, like why the fuck, why people would do that. But anyway, um, we hope you enjoy this week's episode. Uh, Dr. Fisher is a really, really special guest. I f- hope we can have her on again someday. Yeah, that'd be great. And uh, let us know your thoughts. Uh, you can hit us up on social media and you can email us. Uh, if you ever have a brain boner or you have thoughts on any episode, info at... Oh, wait, no, that's not... We don't... That's Sick Boy. <laughs> you can send it to info at sickboypodcast.com and then I'll... Same head it, office. I'll send it over to Variety. <laughs> All right. Uh, turn me on podcast at gmail.com. There we go. You got it. Uh, cool. Hope you enjoy it. And we'll see you on the other side. Bye-bye. Um, Marianne Fisher, correct? Um, 
Are you a doctor? Doctor Fisher? I am a doctor Fisher. Holy shit, we got a doctor in the studio. <laughs> See, what I love about this is, is that, is that I, and I was kind of uh, talking to you about this earlier before we started recording, but, you know, um, the most of the people we talk to on the podcast are just everyday people kind of going through their lives. Some of them like to be peed on. Some of them like to, you know, be fisted. And we just talk to them about that experience or whatever. Um, and and every once in a while, and with Sick Boy too, every once in a while we get to sit down with someone who maybe they like to be peed on. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> they like to be there. fisted. But, <laughs> but not only that, they can really, they really, really know what they're talking about. An expert in their field. And because I am a self-proclaimed idiot, I feel like uh, these are one of my favorite conversations to have because I they're they're always learning experiences no matter who you're talking to, but um, there's something there's something just a little more rich when when we get to talk to someone particularly when we when we just got some fan mail that was like can you please start fact checking your <laughs> that was really funny yeah. <laughs> we can go into that um, later and uh, we got your contact information from a listener who is a student of yours like can't remember their name off the top of my head and I don't know if they'd want that disclosed anyway right. but they were really uh, persist- persistent or insistent that we have you come in here and uh, Well I'm happy chat. to be here. <laughs> so Marianne what is it what what brings you in here? What is it that you... Um, what are you that a you, doctor of? Yeah. Ah, what am I a doctor of? Well um, so my PhD is experimental psychology and uh, what I'm specifically known for is evolutionary psychology. So that would be blending, say, not just biology and psychology, but really looking at natural and sexual selection in relation to humans. Ooh. So I'll give you an example, okay? Because like that might have gone like way yeah. over already. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I look at humans as essentially any other animal or living organism. And I look at the brain, for example, as just another organ of the body. So when I talk about, say, feelings or um, why you like to eat certain foods, maybe, or uh, your reactions to jealousy or how you compete for mates, um, I look at that as a, a set of adaptations, biological adaptations that have occurred over mm, somewhere between 2 million years and 10,000 years ago. And I take into account the environment. So I take into account things like what sort of family did you have and all that great stuff. And then I take into account what the physical environment might have been like that led you to have that biology as well. Mm. So it's it's really multifaceted. It's it's crazy rich. Um, but that's that's really my background. And then my specialty, which is probably why I'm sitting on your couch, um, is I study primarily how women compete for mates. And I look at mostly heterosexual women right now. And I look at all the nasty things they might do uh, to get sort of one up on each other. So you said heterosexual, and so because that was one of my mm-hmm. uh, things when I I wanted to ask you about when you said um, when I read that in your bio was like does this include studies on like trans women right. as well as you know I wish well, it did okay I really really wish it did um, we've done a few studies and we've had problems with publications so far the, the science community is just not quite there yet um, so we've done studies looking at um, self reported. Uh, non-heterosexual women. So that, that's really a wide umbrella, yeah. obviously. Mm. Um, and we've looked also at 
uh, straight women, self-reported straight women, who engage in non-heterosexual behaviors as well. So that's also a, a huge community. Is that like so, experimental stuff? Is that what yeah, they mean by that? Well, we actually call it sexual fluidity, but not in the Lisa yeah. Diamond sense. Um, so we consider it, we don't consider the spectrum to be sort of, um, you know, straight and gay at either end, and then, you know, bi somewhere in the middle. That's That's really... It's too binary for us. Mm-hmm. And um, and so some of the work that I've done with one of my PhD students, uh, we were looking at the mostly or primarily heterosexual, but who actually engage in really intense uh, lesbian relationships. Okay. Um, so it's not really experimental. It's a bit deeper than that. But, okay. Yeah. But that would fall into it. But uh, yeah, we've had we've had all sorts of obstacles. And one of the other issues is sample size. So when we do studies um, in psychology, we often need like... I don't know, say 200 people, right? Um, and when we're doing when we're doing quick and easy studies around Halifax, it's really hard to find 200 women who wouldn't classify themselves as primarily heterosexual who are available to do these studies. Mm. So, it's, it's just an easier sample to take from. It is. Right. Especially when you're trying to control for other demographic variables. So, mm-hmm. um, But yeah, it's, it's, so it's coming. For the road. sake of what we're talking about today, mm-hmm. I, I guess it's safe to say that mostly what we're talking about is what you've learned through the study of heterosexual Absolutely. females. Yeah. Okay. Um, what, this might be too broad of a question and just like the nerd mind of me is kind of, is really <laughs> curious to know, but like what might be some of the things that, oh man, and here, <laughs> and here comes my dumbness as well. I don't know how to even word this question because I'm, I'm not nearly as smart as anybody else in this just room. Just text but, me and I'll uh, help you. <laughs> yeah. what, what, is, what is some of the like behavioral, um, some of the behaviors, I guess, sexually that, that have been, uh, oh man, how do I even word this? Okay. Over time. Yeah. Go ahead. It's not that broad. I think what you're going to ask is you're actually specific to mm-hmm. what your studies is. I think your question is like, what are behaviors that females engage in that are mate- mating or... Well, yeah, or even just like, even just even more general mm-hmm. than that, just like uh, sexual behaviors that have have been looked at and attributed to um, our, our, our evolutionary... Gotcha. progress that okay. people might not even realize like consistently okay. over time yeah maybe? yeah like okay. things that you know as a as a fact as someone who who studies evolutionary behavior gotcha. i think i think i get what you're saying so if your answer is not what i'm looking for <laughs> I'll, You'll I'll tell definitely me. tell you that's a good thing that's a good thing um okay so one of the main i guess uh key points of evolutionary psychology is that women and men really differ in how many children they can produce, right? Okay. So let's just go back to that for a second. And what that means in the long run is that, you know, women are investing a lot in their children. They also invest a lot even at a biological level. So their eggs are a lot larger than men's sperm and all that kind of stuff. And then they get pregnant, lactate, take care of young babies, and so on and so on. So... Because of women's much larger investment, the theory is that they have to be really picky about the men that they're going to date or have sex with, right? Mm-hmm. So men, on the other hand, don't have that same sort of, we call it a burden, like without value judgment attached to it, but it's an it's an energetic burden, okay? So because men don't have that issue, their issue is about sexual access. So when we talk about it, we used to talk about it as a quantity versus quality issue. So mm. women can can easily find a guy to hook up with. 
but they can't necessarily find a quality guy to hook up with, right? Mm. So, uh, and, and the reverse of that is that men try to have access. So they're looking for, sometimes they're looking for quality, especially long-term stuff, but if they just want to hook up, they're not necessarily too picky. And a lot of social psychology literature shows that that's the case. So going forward to what you were saying then, um, say we're going downtown and we're looking around the club, what sort of things might we see, right? Like, let's just start with that part. Mm-hmm. So we would see um, women often engaging in behaviors with each other, first of all. So they might be um, trying to, to figure out who the other woman's interested in so they can you know, not play, make a play for that guy, unless he's really desirable, in which case she might tell tell her friend, who's also interested in the guy, hey, no, 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 you don't want him. He's got an STI. I just heard it on the street. He's a total player. Like, don't touch him. When she goes to the bathroom, she goes up to the guy and makes a play for him. Okay? Right. So that sort of stuff. Men, on the other hand, might do things like they might advertise their resources because women are attracted to money for various reasons. So they might wear a fake Rolex when they go out. We've seen that in our data. Um, they might say all sorts of I great use that things. one all the time. <laughs> <laughs> guys, it works like a charm. <laughs> um, but it's, it's really, and then it's all, it also comes down to things like how long does it take before, you know, sexual access is granted, which, you know, huge, huge differences. You're, you're just uh, laughing. <laughs> I'm just, no, you know what? You know, I'm laughing because you said that. And it actually, it reminded me of this time. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm about to say this. <laughs> this time that I went out to the Pacifico here in Halifax, it's, a, it's a, like a nightclub, don't worry about that. Um, and uh, I was with someone who was rooting through the, so we went, we were up the ATM. We had to get some money to go to the bar and buy some drinks. Mm-hmm. I'm like 19 at this time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm with a, a gentleman who is a little bit older than me. And he's rooting through the all of the slips, the the receipts that are given back from the ATM that are left on the top of the ATM. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. here's what here's oh, what, how much money you have left no. in your account. Yeah. And people just look at it and they go, well, I don't fucking need this receipt. And they just put it on the top of the machine. Yeah. Well, he's rooting through them all. And I'm going, what are you doing? And he's going, I'm trying to find the one that has the highest balance. Oh, my God. The highest balance within the account so that when I give a girl her, my number, I'm going to write it on the back of this oh. thing. And when they flip it over, they're going to go, holy shit, this guy's got... <laughs> X amount of money in his That's account. Brilliant. And I remember being at 19, I was going, God damn. That was a fucking brilliant That's idea. That's some game right there. Oh my God. So yeah, you're right. Like I might use that in my research. You know? should. I, 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 you know, I'll give you credit for it. Yeah. Fuck a Rolex. Just get the, get the show, show the money That's right easy. where it is. Yeah, I like that. I it's like sneaky. That. It's a sneaky little wow. move, you know? Um, oh wow. I can't believe that. You just like uprooted that silly memory. <laughs> Um, uh, so in terms of, okay, and this might be completely off topic, um, and if it is, mm-hmm. you know, d- don't let me derail it, but, um, I, I, I once heard that there were, and is this, is, does this kind of dive into some of the stuff that you have researched or is this a little in a bit of a different department, but, mm-hmm. um, um, this notion or this concept that, uh, how, anorexia mm-hmm. has play has has been is basically like an a, an evolutionary uh behavioral thing mm-hmm. that came into play based on um particularly women trying to avoid like finding a partner or something or something like that it's I, I, don't, I haven't heard that explanation. Um, so a really good friend of mine, uh, Catherine Salmon, has published a bunch of papers with some of their colleagues 
And she's looked at anorexia as a losing strategy or as a way that uh, women might compete with each other to uh, sort of win the best guy out there. But what happens is that, so women are pressuring each other, right, mm-hmm. to look different, to look better and all this other stuff. Um, but what happens is that when you get to a certain body fat point, not only are you anorexic, but um, you lose any fertility, right? So right. you've totally, as soon as your fertility has gone from an evolutionary point of view, you've just lost the competition. Right. And so it's it's basically like a runaway phenomenon. So it's just gotten out of control to the uh, point okay, where that's okay. happened. So that's as much as I know about that argument, but there's mm-hmm. some fantastic work coming out of out of her stuff right now. I just I find the 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 whole like be evolutionary biology and and how it affects behavior. That's I just find crazy. that stuff so interesting and so yeah. crazy. And um I I know that in some ways it's a very kind of um it can be a bit of a touchy subject and mm-hmm. some people can't have a hard time wrapping their head around it. And oh, yeah. um, I'm sure you, you come up against that kind of stuff. I get especially. Hate yeah. Yeah. Of <laughs> what course. Do you mean to get and I'm, I'm sure there's going to be people who listen to this podcast today and go, this is fucking bullshit. What like, is controversial not. about evolutionary biology? So when it, when applied to humans, that seems to be the lightning rod, right? Okay. Because, um, we're saying that humans have, first of all, an evolutionary past, which goes against some other accounts right. of the world, right? Um, and then we're also saying that um, humans haven't been able to free themselves of their biological past. So you're you're running into the philosophy of free will and all those sorts of things as well. Um, but what I find, and this is the thing I have going on at St. Mary's, is so I'm teaching this as a first-year course, which, as far as I know, happens nowhere else in the world. Everywhere else in the world, it's, a, it's an upper-year course, Okay. So I have brand new, like 18-year-olds walking in the classroom to take this course they know nothing about. And I feel like they're walking with all these preconceptions about what evolution is and is not. So I start the course by saying what it's not, right? So I I talk about all the criticisms, like how we talk about sexism and um, rape is an evolved mechanism and all these other things that they may have heard about in the media or, Mm -hmm. you know, their friends and family might say as arguments. And I go through one by one about how these criticisms either aren't legit, it's just a misunderstanding of the field, um, or how they are actually important criticisms, especially because they bring up these holes in our theory, or um, how they lead to misinterpretations by the general public. So I've yet to find at a personal level any reason to stop studying it. Mm. But there is a lot of hate mail. And then I, I take also... I'm a feminist evolutionary psychologist now, right? So I do a lot of stuff about trying to look at women as active agents in human evolutionary history. Mm-hmm. So I look at just all sorts of random different things at this point, but I'm beginning to get somewhere. But because I'm, I'm using feminist theory and attaching it to biology, I get a whole lot of hate mail from that <laughs> camp too. Yeah, so right. I've just annoyed a lot of people at this point, yeah. I feel like. but So where did like feminist theory begin? For me, as as coming in? Yeah, I guess mm-hmm. so. And like in human evolution. Gotcha. So the field, I, I have, this is a big question. So I'm just going to break it into a couple different parts. Okay, yeah. so interrupt as you want. But mm-hmm. So the field didn't really pick up into the 80s. There was, there was a famous book published by Wilson called Sociobiology in the 70s. Last chapter was about humans. And humans and social behavior is having an evolutionary past. So that was the beginning of the field. So that's not that long ago, right? And even though there was a women's movement that was active during that time, um, it it wasn't touching into that field at all. Like it was just, it was sort of isolated. Move into the 80s, you have a lot of men as key players. Um, you have women as graduate students, still not a lot of women's influence. So the field, 
I think by necessity really began to look at men as having this very active role. And Darwin's work is inherently quite sexist as, as well. Right. So along comes, you know, these new generations like Sarah Hurdy in the 80s, 90s, um, and saying, no, like women play a very active role in, in human evolution. You just haven't looked for it. Right. You know, like look at the way mothers interact with their children, you know, and, and look at the ways that women interact with each other. They don't have a status hierarchy. They don't, you know, engage in warfare in the same way, but they do a lot of other stuff. It's mm-hmm. really important. So there was always this sort of feminist element, but it just wasn't brought to light, I guess. And then um, the way I got into it was uh, I actually avoided the feminist word. Like I was I was being trained by someone who was a pure experimentalist saying, there's no bias to science, there's no bias to science. You have to be, you know, you have to be on the fringes of that idea. You can't, you can't dive into it. And I kept getting told by my field I was a feminist. Well, you study women. I also studied men, but you study women, therefore you're a feminist. I was like, what? Say what? Like, how does that make me a feminist? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like saying because you study cats, you, you're an expert in felines all the time. Like it doesn't, you know, so... Anyway, it just got to be the point where it was ridiculous. And so I honestly feel like I threw my hands up in the air one day and went, fine, I'm a feminist. Deal with Get it. Get on with it. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? right. Like, and, uh, and so that, that changed everything because all of a sudden, well, now you're a self-proclaimed feminist. Wow. You have to stand up for the field. So I've enjoyed it. Uh, I've definitely had a lot of really different conversations that way. But I can imagine. Yeah. I would love to dive back into the uh, intrasexual competition, sure. female intrasexual oh, competition. Yeah. Is that so, uh, so? That that is basically the um, we were kind of talking about earlier the the things that females do to to root out and find the like perfect mate. Is that what? yeah? It's it's also just how they interact with each other to keep the mates they have, or what sort of things they might want to do to to gain access to the mate they want. Um, mm. so it's, it's broad, um, but I can give you some examples if you want. Yeah. Cause it's great. Okay. So when we think about competition, um, for mating, okay. So I'm going to focus on mating because there's competition for all sorts of different things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So mating competition, um, there's really four strategies that both men and women do. So the first is self-promote, which is where you're going out to the nightclub. So you look as good as you can. Um, you try to act nice to everyone. You flash money around if you're a guy. Um, or a slip, a receipt. <laughs> or a slip. Don't forget, guys. <laughs> but you try to make yourself look as great as possible. The thing is, you don't know who you're up against. Like mm-hmm. When you walk into that club, that's when you see all those rivals, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one thing with self-promotion. Um, and you might say, oh, well, I just want to look good because it makes me feel better. Well, that's nice. And that might be true. But it also does have this advantage of putting you on top of competition. I wonder if it ma- I wonder if in making you feel better mm-hmm. is actually also just the 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 sort of um, natural like advantage. you know yeah you know you're putting yourself up and like you're you're putting yourself you're trying to you ta- look good you feel good you yeah but you're trying to take advantage and so it's just naturally inherently going to make you feel better you know it could be yeah I mean, you might inflate your mate value right mm-hmm. so we talk about how everyone out there in the world has a magic number or two above their head right so what you were worth at that moment in that context as a mate like zero to ten um i i could consider it one to seven but yeah zero okay, to ten. Sure. <laughs> Is there, <laughs> Not is, to nail is, the there point, is there a scientific reason behind the one to seven? It's it's because of the whole theory behind scale development. Anyway, 
it's, it's just yeah, it's a whole other it's, it's nerdy concept. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Zero to ten would work too. Okay. Um, but uh, and then I'm arguing now that there is actually more than one number because there's more than one context in which you might want yeah. to date someone. So yeah. that's where I'm going with my work. But okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, but if you feel good, you might think your number is a little bit higher. So you might make a play for someone who's a little bit higher than you normally would. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how I see that kind of fitting in. But Which could be to your advantage. Oh, big time. Right? Like the, the, the whole confidence thing is yeah. plays a big role. As someone who was once a teenage girl and <laughs> a girl in their 20s, uh, the value of like feeling good, like putting your time in and feeling good when you go out is... Like, I just think about how my insecurities as a woman in my 20s and, like, the effort that sometimes sometimes I'd be like, I'm wearing sweatpants and a hoodie because I yeah. don't care. And I'm going to be a That's seven when advantage. I do it. That's my advantage. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Such yeah, a mind game. It, but it's also, like, in a way you're drawing attention to the fact that you're so confident, mm-hmm. yeah. right? That that could be a big turn on, too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So. Yeah, there is a lot of stuff to unfold there. It's, oh, it's crazy. Man. Um, so yeah, and that's the most effective strategy, and that's the most well-used strategy. Is to look good. Yeah, feel to feel good. good to advertise your personal, right. You know, personality, whatever. Um, and sometimes too, it's actually uh, trying to establish commonality. So you might say, "Hey, what are you into?" as a as a potential mate. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'm into that too. And even if it's a lie, yeah, because it's a way to make yourself look more intelligent. Mm-hmm. Or, so that's I've, one. I've used that one before, for sure. For sure, I've used the that. The list of things that Jeremy yeah. is oh not really into. I, I love this. I, I I can't wait to hear the one I haven't used, so that I can be like, ah, add that to the docket. What's next? I'm, I'm pretty sure you've used all of them. Um, <laughs> so uh, there's competitor derogation. I'm sorry. Wait. Say like, what did you just call me? <laughs> so, competitor, competitor derogation. Derogation. I read about this on the internet today. Okay. <laughs> so derogation is just trying to put someone down, right? So ah. in our in our context, it would be things like. Um, I'll give you a good a good example. I call this the jellyfish sting. So imagine you're sitting at a table with your potential rival and the and the guy you're interested in, right? And, uh, and you say, hey, by the way, sir, you look amazing. No one would ever guess you have gonorrhea right now, right? And it's like zing because it's a compliment, but, mm. you know. It's a backhand. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's an indirect irrigation. But you might do things like spread rumors about each other. Mm-hmm. Um you might actually bully her, or if it's a dude, you know, bully him. Um, you can use physical aggression, although women tend not to use that too much. So it's it's ways of making the rival seem inferior relative to you, mm-hmm. which means you have to know who they are. So it's different, like when you're going to the club, then you're looking around at who's competing for the same people you are, and you're targeting them for the competition. Which makes it so much more nasty. Oh, yeah. Because you got to know them. Oh, it's fantastic. Right? Yeah. Is that... Uh... Such just so Jerry Springer. I love it. <laughs> And a big thing that comes up a lot on our podcast, which I feel like falls under that, is like slut shaming. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, and it'll come up actually again, I think, because um, okay. there's two more strategies. So, one is mate manipulation. So, this is where you have the potential target in mind and you've identified who you're both interested in, so the rival's interested in also. And you start to go, okay. I might be just a little bit ahead in this competition, so I'm going to now take the take the target out of the way. So, for example, um, you might try to start mate guarding. So you're tying up the mate so he's got no free time to spend with anyone else. Or you're constantly texting him to make sure that he's always around, he's available, he's not with her. 
um, it's it's vast the stuff you do the and cl- the clingy technique it, getting yeah. getting clingy but it's very effective that's right. the funny thing like it's really it also shows you care mm-hmm. right so it has that weird little you know positive part of it too mm-hmm. huh. but uh, it's a way of of you could also lie to the mate you could also say oh yeah you know oh she she's really ugly she's got terribly fat ankles which is derogation but it's also manipulating the mate into thinking something differently right right and i've done a lot of research sort of on that part and the derogation part would mate manipulation also be like yeah, I have this guy that's texting me all the time and I can't get him off my back. Anyway, you were saying like, yes, you know, absolutely. That kind of like I have lots of other options available to me. Exactly. And you're okay. lucky you have me. So you should want to really have me. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. And then the last one is competitor manipula- manipulation. And this one I find the most interesting in some ways, but this is where you might say to the to your rival, um, oh, yeah, you don't want to be involved with him at all because he's got an STI. So you actually slam the mate to that get you... her to not be interested in him, and then you make the play. Um, or it might be telling her all sorts of things about herself that she could confirm. So, for example, you really have no friends. You know, everyone's just really using you because you're, you have some money, and uh, you have no way in heck of getting that guy. So they don't even try. Mm. So you make her feel really cruddy about herself so that you would win the competition. So there's some overlap in how they are. Yeah. Um, but it's just, and this all came up from a study where I had people come into the lab one at a time, gave him a sheet of paper and just said, how do you compete for dates? Mm. And it was just like, oh my God, some of the stories, I have to tell you one more. This is actually my favorite one. Yes. So um, so a lot of the time when women and men, but mostly women, when they talk about competing, they're competing with their friends, especially women in their 20s, yeah. university students. And you have to remember that we often choose friends who are about the same mate value as us, okay? And there's oh. all sorts of reasons for that. So if you look around at your friends, um, even if one's not as attractive as the next friend, they probably have some other redeeming quality that would pick huh. up their mate value. I see. So we tend to be about the same value as our friends. Is there something to be said about people who hang out with people that are much higher in the well, in Oh my gosh, lower? yes. Yes, okay. yes, yes. So, okay. Because I'm thinking about, I think about, like, I'm thinking about those two guys up there, Brian <laughs> and Taylor, and I'm going, they're like super fucking handsome and I, I and I'm just sticking with them only because I know that it probably boosts my my attractiveness yeah, just a little bit right anyway continue. oh yeah well it, it does make sense so if we actually call it the cheerleader or halo effect in one case so if you're especially if you're a woman and you surround yourself with other really beautiful women like a little bit higher than you it actually boosts your your perceived attractiveness Whoa. yeah and but then there's also the contrast effect which is where if you're surrounded by quite unattractive people and you're attractive it actually makes your attractiveness pop even more right so yeah there is mm-hmm. there's something there we're doing a study with tinder and we've looked at that like who you post pictures with uh-huh and we haven't quite finished it so that's that oh, was something that we're this. looking at that in the background yeah. must be a brand new fascinating oh, we have such fun in the lab like no, we really do it. it's, yeah. it's great stuff it's great stuff um okay so but yeah. uh, we were coming back though we were at um uh, you were saying, I, I kind of derailed it. but Oh, the, my favorite story. Yes. yes about yeah, the friends. Yeah. The friends. Oh, my God. It's such a great story. But I find it great. So um, I had a woman who was doing the survey, and these are university students. Okay, this is a while ago now. And she came back to me and she said, are you sure that no one's going to read these other than you? <clears throat> and I said, absolutely. Like, this is pure and purely anonymous because you don't put your information here. I won't be looking at your answers for a good month. Like, you know, and also I'll be the only one reading them. 
And so she wrote out this really elaborate story about how her best friend and her were going clubbing. And um, first of all, her friend, when they were picking out their outfits, they went shopping together. And her friend picked out something that made her look fat. Okay. Really unattractive. And she asked her friend, how do I look? And her friend, my participant, was like, you look fabulous. It's so amazing. You should buy it. So first of all, she set up her friend to look terrible. Then they go out. um, They're at the bar. And her friend's got toilet paper stuck to her shoe. Okay. You know, it's a bit of a faux pas, right? Yeah, Yeah. So the friend goes to leave the bathroom. And my participant says nothing. Nothing. And this is her best friend. Sees it. Says nothing. Mm -hmm. Says nothing. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, this is this is really yeah. That, that's when I got so sucked in by the topic. Yeah, I was like, if women are treating their friends like this, what are they doing to the women they don't like? You know, like. And so to come wow. back to the you know the way that men and women sort of their worldview and how they're trying to find mates, um, <clears throat> women are looking for the 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 like the alpha male like the like or, mm-hmm. or not the alpha male but like the 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 sort of perfect mate mm-hmm. to for to them. reproduce for them yeah which it can be different from you know person to person absolutely whereas the the male typically is like I'm just looking to spread my seed mm-hmm. um it is as long as the door is open yeah to some extent like to some extent there's some so there's some research that shows that um, when men are looking at someone for a long term marriage prospect. They do judge what she's wearing, for example. Mm. So whereas they would like the more revealing clothes and a short-term one-night thing, mm-hmm. um, they're not going to bring that woman home to mom if she's right. wearing that sort of stuff. And that, that's something that the literature really clearly shows is that when you when you go into a situation, you probably, most people probably don't go, okay, tonight I'm looking just for a hookup. And even if they're fantastic, I'm never going to be with them for more than a week. Mm. And most people don't make that decision, right? Mm-hmm. They think, oh, yeah, I'm just in the mood for some fun, right? But they also, people don't discount that if they find the one that they're just going to ignore and keep on shopping. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we use these different variables, I think, as a way of, of sort of marking what sort of potential that relationship has, which is why when I hear what, like, you know, I have so all sorts of friends who met their significant other in a bar and I'm like, interesting, what were they wearing? Like, that's what yeah. I want to know. Like, what were they doing? And it's usually, well, they were just dressed normally and they were just themselves. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they made me laugh, especially for men, like making women laugh. Um, or they bought me a drink or we just started talking and we couldn't stop talking. Like, oh dear, <laughs> I've stumbled on something. I'm like, I'm pretty sure we're married because you made me laugh. <laughs> that's the go. only reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in the, in the, in the differences in, in how men and women view the world, mm-hmm. Is there is is what you're saying like this 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 intrasexual female intrasexual competition? Mm-hmm. Um, is it is it much more intense for women than it is for men generally? Like in ah. terms of how we compete? Okay, so the sexes compete very differently in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, one of the reasons I got into this is because all the literature addressed males' competition. So basically, like, men duking it out behind the bar in, you know, fighting with each other physically. And the idea was that they're fighting over a woman and the woman would just take the winner. Passively right. just take the so winner. It's like two gorillas yeah. out in the wild. Yeah. One's like, hey, I, I won. Now yeah. I get the harem. And the, and the competition literature. Harem? No. harem. Is harem women too? Or just men? It's, it's usually gorillas. <laughs> Female or male gorillas. <laughs> um, but uh, it was just, and the competition literature, the psychology competition literature was mostly about men or about some, you know, set, mixed sex stuff. But there was nothing really on women and what mm. women or girls were doing, right? And so when you look at the aggression literature, because I know I'm, I'm 
doing all the dots now, right? But the aggression literature was mostly focused on this idea that women were indirect. So, you know, they spread rumors or they ostracized, so they kicked, you know, women over their social group or whatever. Whereas men tend to be much more direct and uh, may or may not be as verbal as women. The literature is sort of split mm-hmm. on that one. And this happens all the way from childhood onward, right? Yeah. So when I was looking at all this and then looking at competition from, you know, for a mating point of view, it was, there was so much written about men competing and women just sort of sucking up the loser, to put it badly. But it was just, you know, that's not the way it works. Like women don't just stand by and go, oh, well, I guess that's who I'm going to be with now. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like that's any Hollywood movie would show you that's not usually the way it works anyway. So that's that's where the field was at. Um, and the field's sort of there still, at least for men. So a lot of the male literature still talks about how, you know, men are, are competing using physical means or they flash their money or they bully each other or they intimidate each other. They use their physical size, stuff like that. Um, where it's getting interesting, and I might be going too far off now, where it's getting interesting, though, is you look at countries with a biased sex ratio. So you look at countries where the number of women versus the number of men is totally changed. So say China, right? Mm-hmm. And you're seeing now, you know, the implications of the one-child policy coming through. So you've got men in their 30s, a lot of men in their 30s, not having a chance to find a mate, right? Because there's so few women relative to the number of men. So all of a sudden, what men are doing to attract a mate is changing. So you oh. see a lot more salons Whoa. devoted to improving men's physical appearance, grooming men. Um, you see a lot more courses around training men about social skills. It's it's really Whoa. shifting. Wow. And that's what I find fascinating. And there's so little information on it. Um, Which totally links crazy. back to the idea that it's you know it's adaptation yeah, it's evolutionary absolutely. It's, if, i mean if you're if your environment is changing mm-hmm. then you in innately you're going to change the way that you come at it you're gonna absolutely. like you're gonna you know change up your game plan yeah i fucking love science even <laughs> though i don't know it <laughs> i know i'm just like trying to picture like the examples of girls in the club not telling their best friends about toilet paper attached to their foot like 2,000 years ago like just trying to imagine what the scenarios are so one thing you have to keep in mind just if you're picturing that scenario right is that our social group would be small mm-hmm. okay so a lot of the a lot of the literature the anthropology literature suggests that our social group may be 150 people right yeah. so you know when we gossiped about someone I love talking about gossip when we gossip about someone, it would actually be someone we knew, mm. right? And that by getting that information about them, we would actually go, oh, we shouldn't loan them resources or we shouldn't sleep with them, right? Whereas today we hear gossip and it's like, oh, that's cool. You know, yeah. So yeah, it's right. a, different, a different level. But um, yeah, no toilet paper, but maybe you wouldn't tell your best friend there that uh, she's got poop running down the back of her leg. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah right. There you go. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'd tell them just because I'd be embarrassed to bring it up. <laughs> Um, is there is there something to be said for um, females or males that are that are um, infertile mm, or sterile? Mm-hmm. Like, and and does 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 the behavior change if they can't even make a baby? Yeah, we've we've done a little bit of research on that, um, and we did it from a jealousy point of view. So. Uh, it, it's not exactly Whoa, about super interesting. <laughs> that actually, that okay. I, I totally cut you off That's there. Okay, I'm so sorry, okay. but but uh, uh, continue because I think I just assumed where you were going with that. <laughs> Fuck, Jerry, write it down. <laughs> write it down. That's why I have a pencil and paper. We can go into that for a minute if you want. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'd love to. Right, I'd okay, love let's to. dive into that one for a second. Um, 
So one of the <laughs> like one of the hot spots within uh, evolutionary social psychology is about jealousy and infidelity, right? And the classic study is something along the lines of um, imagine you're in a committed relationship and uh, you find out that your partner has had sex once and only once um, with someone and there was no emotional involvement. How upset or distressed would you be versus um, you're in the same relationship and you find out your partner's had an emotional relationship but would not have sex, like how upset would you be? So Mm -hmm. like an emotionally involved relationship. And you can vary this according to time scales and all sorts of things. And cross-culturally, using all sorts of different measures, about two-thirds of women say they'd be more upset about the emotional condition, two-thirds of men say the sexual condition. So we took that, we've used it in different ways, but one of the things we did was looking look at whether or not the person's infertile as the third party, and how jealousy and distress reacts with that. Because the idea is that if you're engaged in a, a sexual relationship with someone um, and they're fertile, then maybe you're getting upset because there could be a kid coming out of that relationship. Mm. Versus if they're infertile, that changes it. Or if you're infertile, it changes it, that sort of, that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's it's crazy. Um, and so the infertility, no one infertil- infertil- <laughs> infertility um, causes huge effects. So mm-hmm. as soon as you find out that someone's infertile, um, the sexual, being upset about the sexual relationship goes down and the emotional stuff picks up. Mm. Um, which is really interesting. So, now, what were, you, what are you? How do you feel about that? Hearing that because mm-hmm. I'm infertile, okay. I'm, I'm sterile. Mm-hmm. And when we started opening things up in our marriage, do you think that that played a role in? I mean, huge question to ask you, Bridie. <clears throat> but like, do you feel like the fact that I can't make a baby with anybody else changed the way that you felt about jealousy and the idea of me sleeping with somebody else? I mean, when it came to contraception, for sure, but mm. not jealousy. I know I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think I marked that. Right. I don't think that came into play. Man, that's so fascinating. Oh, it's did really it have cool an impact for you? Well, I'll tell you right now. The thought of you sleeping with someone who's fertile, and them giving you a baby, like impregnating you, that. Mm. Tears me apart. Me. Like it's yeah, something yeah. I want. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Presenting you with a perfect baby. Um, that that guts me, right? Wow. Like I can't. But the idea of you sleeping with somebody. Wow. It's all good. All good. But the thought of you of you getting pregnant. I'm like, that's oh, Nelly. <laughs> that's, that's a, a bridge, yeah, and that's, that's yeah, a one. yeah, exactly. Huh. Super interesting. Um, one thing that I would I would love to ask you about mm-hmm. all the work that you're doing. So I know as a as a scientist, mm-hmm. you gather data, you mm-hmm. look at the data and you say, this is what I've learned. And this is this is how we see the world. And mm-hmm. here's here's my study and uh, or here's my findings and mm-hmm. try to challenge it. And if you can't, great, I win. Right. Um, something like that. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. I, I don't know. Uh, but. Out of all the work that you are doing, mm-hmm. like the, the work that you are essentially devoting your your life to, mm-hmm. from the findings that you've come across, what would you like to, what, what do you feel like would be the, the end goal or the takeaway from mm. that discovery or those discoveries? Uh, that's a really big question. I think, so... I've been looking at women in competition now for 20 years this month. Okay, so that's that's a sizable portion of my life, obviously. Um, 
And I've done a lot of studies on everything from pornography to the Muppets to uh, Harlequin romance novels. Like it's it's been a very vast career in that time. And the one thing that I think would be a takeaway message from all of that is um, there's a strength to understanding the biological part. And I'm not I'm not wording that well, but everything I know about science means that life is going to find a way to happen. And that might be, um, you know, a situation of co-evolution where you have um, two parasites battling it out to take over an organism. Or it might be um, two women battling it out for the best guy. Like, people are smart. Like, even, even someone that doesn't look all that intelligent, there can be a big old scheme behind what they're doing, right? And they may not be consciously aware of why they're doing it, but it's brilliant, you know? Like, it's, it's just one of those things that I find mind-blowing all the time over and over again is how we do these things that we don't necessarily understand why we're doing them and they work, you know, like it's just, I'm, I'm absolutely Mm. blown away by how life will find a way and how we are constantly as a species adapting to things. It's just incredible. It really is. Mm. As someone who studies that, Mm -hmm. do you think that how much of an effect do you think that that's had on the way that you, go about your day it's huge i have to admit it's huge so um being someone that studies competition and aggression and let's say some of the more nasty stuff that people do to each other it's it's made like when i walk into a room i I like to watch people i always have that's why i'm a psychologist right but when i walk into a room and i see people interacting it gives me this this insight that's different i think um but it also I think when I see kindness, it highlights it so much more. Hmm. It, genuine kindness, not kindness because it's expected, not kindness because it's a play, but genuine um, self-sacrificing kindness. Or, um, you know, when, you, when you're trying to help someone out uh, at a workplace, say, for no particular reason other than it just felt, feels good to you, you won't gain a reputation status out of it. You're not going to gain like a tit-for-tat, reciprocal altruism, we call it, but like a, a, you know, a favor you can call in. When you're doing it just because it feels good and you want to, um, that's stuff I've noticed the most. So in my daily life, uh, when I see people letting others in on the road, this is a good example, driving here. When I see people letting other people in on the road with the knowledge that they're probably never going to run into that person again, that it's going to slow them down a minute, why do they do it? They do it because of kindness, mm-hmm. right? Maybe they think, well, down the road, karma is going to you know, serve it back. Mm-hmm. But at that moment, they made the decision to be genuinely kind so that's i think that's where i see it in my daily life i see the competition i see the backbiting i see the nastiness i see the aggression um and then i go to my lab and i was talking about this before the show but i go to my lab which is full of students who should be all competing with each other to get ahead because they're all trying to get into graduate school get scholarships and i watch them cooperate Mm. you know and i watch them sharing the fame on a project that hits the media or um really trying to help each other out with absolutely no expectation of payback. And it's, I think because I study all this negative stuff, when I see the good stuff, it's just like, wow. Like, Mm. yeah. So that's what affects me. And yeah, it gives me some reassurance, I guess. There's, there's good. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty wonderful. You know, to to be able to say that you, the, the, the thing that you've decided to do for your life brings you such a, such a profound sort of effect on how you see mm-hmm. the world. Oh, it does. I think that's pretty, 
pretty miraculous. I have no regrets. Yeah. Absolutely no regrets about what I do. It's, um, I had a friend, and this is going into the me search side of it now, as I like to call it. Um, I had a friend over, and, uh, and they're just talking to me about my career, and, and they're saying, so, you know, I've been doing this for a long time now. Like, when you die, or when you're on your deathbed, what are you going to think about it? And it's going to be like, I have absolutely no regrets. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I have learned so much. I've changed the field a bit. I've altered the life of a few students. This is a good thing. Probably, I, would, you know? I would give you a slow clap yeah. for that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. there is like not uh, from, you know, I'm trying to find out little things about my biology and having a hard time on the internet mm-hmm. of all places finding anything consistent or reliable. Mm-hmm. So anytime I hear of anybody doing any kind of study, particularly related to females, I'm like, yes, because there's not enough information There's really out not. There. No. Marianne, this was <clears throat> fantastic. Oh, I had fun. Um, uh, I I love this. Uh, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you were hoping we would we would dive into? Not off the top of my head. I I think I don't want to yeah. open a can of worms. Yet. <laughs> Go for but it. But you Uh-oh. said you said something like very like you just kind of blew over it, yeah. and I I wrote it down. I didn't get the whole thing that you said, but okay. it was something about rape. Gotcha. Yep. And I'm just curious about that because. Obviously, it's a huge, and you work in university, Mm -hmm. and like we do a lot of episodes talking about consent and Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. And I just, I'm just curious about what uh, that, what role that plays from an evolutionary standpoint. So, there was a book published um, on rape. Oh, I'm going to date myself here. It was, it was quite a while ago. I'd say about 20 years ago. I can't remember the exact year, and it came out, um, and. It was written by two men, and it gained a lot of notoriety right away because it basically said that rape is a, a natural adaptation for some men to engage in, especially men who may not have a chance um, to find a quality mate or get access to mates. Got it. And, um, and the feminist scholars, I'd say, had a very critical negative reaction to their argument, understandably, I feel. Um, and... And I think the first of all, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what their arguments were. Um, and they, one of the things was that they weren't saying all men naturally rape, right? So we have this thing called the naturalistic fallacy, which we stole f- and mutated from philosophy. Uh, but it means that just because we study something doesn't mean that it ought to be. So just because something is yeah. doesn't mean it ought, right? Um, which is a huge thing in, psych- in evolutionary psychology. So going back to the issue of rape then, when this book came out, it caused the storm. And one of the best accounts I saw um, in response to it was that in order to explain rape as an evolutionary adaptation, you also have to explain why some men do not rape mm-hmm. and why, indeed, it's the majority of men, even with an opportunity to rape freely and all these other things, why they do not. And uh, and I thought, and it was Franz de Waal that said that, um, who's a fam- famous primatologist, and I thought, yeah, like, he's nailed it. Like, if you're going to make an argument that men have a propensity to do something, you also have to argue why they do not engage mm-hmm. in that. Um, and there was no answer to that? There's been no answer. Right. So that's that's as far as it's really gotten. Um, mm. And you could talk about how, you know, the, the social-emotional aspects of it too. And um, I've fallen, I have to admit, and this is probably going to get me so trouble with the evolutionary psychologist, I've fallen into the camp of if you can't explain why it doesn't happen more often, then you have to go back to the drawing board. Um, and I don't think their arguments as they've published them about being a natural adaptation are, are correct. Mm. Um, 
but I'm glad the one thing I am happy for, and this is the stuff that gets me in trouble all the time, is I'm happy they raised the issue because at least it got a discussion going. And even though I think it caused a lot of negative reactions uh, in some of the readers of the book and, and some of the scholars, I'm happy that it got brought to light, you know, rather than it being something that, well, we can't talk about, mm-hmm. you know, and these trigger points and all this sort of stuff. So I like the fact that that's out there and that it's debatable, you know. And, uh, but yeah, as for my own reactions to it, not the highlight of evolutionary psychology, in my opinion, but Mm -hmm. it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. On that (coughs) note, I would love to know who you would recommend reading to anybody who's interested. Well, I have a new book that's going to come out soon. Oh. <laughs> oh, plug away. <laughs> well, actually, I don't know. I'm still waiting for the, the book contract. We'll see if it gets taken up. But I'm hoping to write, um, a re- it's, they're called Very Short Introductions. Okay. And it's Oxford University Press. So it'd be a 130-page book about the field. And uh, we'll see if I get the contract or not. But that would be my plan for the next few years to, to do that. But uh, I can tell you who inspired me, uh, and that was really a combination of Anne Campbell, who just passed away, sadly, but she wrote a great book um, about women in competition and aggression, and it's called A Mind of Her Own. It's fantastic. Um, And the other book I'd really recommend, well, anything by Sarah Hurdy, I think, is fabulously written, but the one that really helped me was The Woman That Never Evolved, and Hurdy spelled H-R-D-Y, Sarah Blaffer Hurdy. Um, those two are fantastic. David Buss has also written some very popularist accounts that are popular. Well, that's sort of redundant. I guess popular accounts that are noteworthy. Um, and like Evolution of Desire is a classic. And that's one of the books I read when I moved into the field. Uh, and Helen Fisher, No Relation. She's famous. It's crazy. No Relationship. I'm quite envious. Um, but she's written some great work as well in the past. So mm. those are some maybe go-to points. But yeah. Thank yeah. you. You're very welcome. Yeah, thank you so much oh, I had for coming in. And uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And we'll be back next week with another fantastic, uh, sexy, sexy, amazing, all, all, all those episodes. Uh, all the adjectives. And in the meantime, uh, it would mean the world to us if you had on, headed on over to um, <clears throat> iTunes or Apple Podcasts and left us a uh, review, a rating and a review. And subscribe for sure. Hit that subscribe button. It uh, helps us stay on the iTunes charts, which is great for us and for you. Uh, and you can find us on social media. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that crap. Um, and <laughs> Check yeah. out our website, blog posts from past guests, and submission <clears throat> forms if you're interested in being a guest, a word if you have a question you would like us to take a stab at. Uh, I think that's it. Until next week. Go fuck yourself. <laughs>
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 